Yeah. Now I realize how stupid and selfish I've been. Um, I had felt lonely and trapped in our marriage because my wife was, and this is my favorite part, because my wife was spending all her time taking care of our kids. <laughs> what a B. Yeah. You know, oh God, that, that type, you know, that type, it's the word. Yeah. You know what? You should have cheated right away. <laughs> Welcome to Hey You Know It. My name is Jaquetta Sotmar, and I'm here with my co-host, Katie Kazmier. Hey You Know It is a podcast that tells you how it is or how it should be. You can listen to Hey You Know It on iTunes, a new episode every Monday. And here they are, Jaquetta and Katie. Greg sent this in. Um, Greg, my husband, uh, he's a big fan of the show. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted us to know, and I guess everyone to know, that Chuck E. Cheese might be no more. Well, first of all, we're a big fan of Greg here on the Yes, <laughs> but not of Chuck E. Cheese. I've never been to one. I don't know if it's because I was too old when they were, you know, starting to become popular or if I was just too rural that we didn't have any around. Like our birthday parties were, you know, still at home. Yeah. Right? I th- yeah. I think Chuck E. Cheese came later. And I think, yeah, I was a teenager when it, they became popular. So I never went. Yeah, I just remember seeing the commercials for them as a kid and being really freaked out because as I found out when I went to Disney World that I don't like animatronics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff freaked me out. And, you know, when we were, I don't know what Chuck E. Cheese looks like now, but I just remember in the commercials, the animatronics, they looked a little bit like Chucky, a little bit like a horror show. Oh. You know how the 80s were. Yeah. (laughs) Like, things were not as... uh, pretty i guess yeah it was supposed to be futuristic but it wasn't really yeah kind of frightening so uh, according to the article um chuck e cheese might file for bankruptcy obviously they're come on in with all of your kids and i guess play in a ball pit and you know be on top of each other is not a good look for Mm. the time of covid yeah but also um as far as i know they're expensive yeah yeah, like it's not. It's it seemed to me when I was growing up that it was kind of like a, a middle class or working class thing, but it's not cheap. No, it's not cheap, and it's it was a thing. If you were privileged, then you had your party yeah. there or you went there. I didn't understand. I thought it was a special occasion thing, and I was shocked to learn that people would go there on the regular. Oh, really? I'm yeah. shocked to learn that right now. I thought it was for birthdays only, and I was like, what, what could be less? Uh, exciting for a child than going to a place where it's everyone's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, you could have your parties there, but I think a lot of parents who are just like, I need my kids to do something. They're like, yeah, we'll go there for dinner. Sure. Run around. Wow. Yeah. I know that the pizza isn't good because once again, you're not going there for the quality of the food, right? It's more for the yeah. show. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's for the running around, playing games. I think you get tickets and you play games. Yeah, I imagine it's all the things I didn't like about like crappy boardwalks, arcades, and pizza parlors put together. So (laughs) it's and it's a mall. It looks like it's a mall thing for the most part, mall, strip mall, that kind of thing. So it says um, they're filing for bankruptcy, and also apparently they tried to secretly sell pizza under the name of one of their animatronics characters, Pasquale's. So they opened up a place called Pasquale's Pizza and Wings, and they put themselves on Grubhub and tried to get their pizza out there that way. You're kidding. During the the pandemic? 
Yes, during the pandemic. Oh. So they were, I guess they understood that no one would really accept, like there's nothing wrong with their pizza. It's on, you know, in terms of health and safety, yeah. it's just not very good. And, you know, why would you order their pizza um, when there are so many other places to order from? Right. But I guess they tried to transition to being on Grubhub, but they didn't say who they were. Oh, see, that's, that's kind of not the move because that's kind of easy to figure out a little later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, in addition to that, they said, uh, last year, Chuck E. Cheese came and it, by the way, it's Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. I didn't know that either. I just thought it was Chucky, like short for Charles Chuck. Yeah. Like, but no, it's with Chuck. A no, it's Chuck E. Right. I don't know what the E is for. Um, they came under fire because people thought they were selling leftover pizza. Because a lot of the pies were misshapen and didn't seem to match up. What? Oh, like they pieced it together? <laughs> yeah, but I did some research on it, and and it's not true. Basically, okay. some of the employees said, look, when you're a new employee there, they have some kind of slicer that's really difficult and unwieldy. Okay. And so when you're cutting the pizzas, you don't always get it perfect. Oh, I see. But when you think about it, like, I know because you're from New Jersey. I know you know good pizza, right? Pizza, like a nice Italian pizza parlor or whatever. Right. Those guys are pros at cutting a pizza. Yeah. Like, it's it's always the same. They do it by hand. They do it really quickly. But it's always, you know, comes out to be the slices are the same. Otherwise, we'd all be knowing about it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> you, know, you can't have a, a miscut pie and then everything a slice. No. no. Exactly. I mean, you could ask them to cut it. You know, sometimes if you're having like a kid's party, you'll ask them to double cut it. Yeah. So that instead of eight slices, it's 16 or 10, it's 20, that kind of thing. But yeah, you're not going to accept it's like four big slices. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> of like, and it's kind of wrinkled, you know, because it yeah. skidded across the thing. You know. And like the, the, the crust has to match up. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so they can't take out the slice and then move it to another part of the pie. Yeah. Oh, God. So yeah, that's, that's what's going on with Chuck E. Cheese. These are the kind of businesses that I wish I felt bad about them going under. But I'm like, is this, do we need this? Can this not be replaced by a mom and pop later? Like we always went to Procolino's Pizza. I don't know if when you came to visit me, I don't know if I took you to Procolino's. I probably did. Most people I do. I didn't. No, I don't. These guys are from Sicily. They landed in our town, luckily for our town like 35 years ago, maybe 40 years ago. And so I grew up with really good, authentic Italian food uh, where there were no real, like, well, I guess there are Italian-Americans where I'm from, but, you know, nobody was really serving that kind of cuisine. So that's my standard for pizza. Um, Even though I'm from, like, rural backwater nowhere, when when I got out of my town, I wasn't going to accept, like, Little Caesars or Domino's, you know, and definitely not Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, you don't, when you think pizza, you don't think Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. And I always uh, kind of was suspicious of the the mouse that is the, that's like the main character for Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. And it just made me think of, like, the place has mice. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It was, it, it seemed too chaotic. It seemed like it was, you know, just... Not that it was unclean, but it's just a bunch of kids yeah. around. How great can that be? And also there's a lot of stuff in there. So you've got cheese pizza being handled, and then you have a lot of things, other things that you can put your little dirty hands on, yeah, right? like, like a, a ball pit. Ball pit. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I, I worked in a place that had a ball pit 
when I was in my early 20s. It was a nightmare. Every night it was like, you know, tons of coins, uh, chewed pieces of food, a couple of times oh. pen knives. Oh, my God. A sock. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, like a retainer, like anything. <laughs> It's disgusting. <laughs> and we had to sanitize that stuff. You know, oh. all, every single ball has to be sanitized. Like, how clean can it be? How did you sanitize the balls? Um, they would spray them down. Like, they, you take them out of the, the ball pit. I guess they sprayed them down and then let them dry off. You know, it was some kind of super yeah. sanitation okay. stuff, like, you know, germicidal fury oh, or something. You know, actually, that gives me, like, that makes me feel good that they were sanitized each night. Well, look, this is at the place I worked at. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, right, I can't, right, right. you know. Exactly. We also had the, the indoor kind of slides and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tried to keep those clean. But, you know, it's really difficult to do that. It is. Yeah. It is. Because there's so but much. We, there's so much. But we never let um, that area kind of merge into the food area. So that was one way that we kept it totally. Like before you came in, you had to wash your hands, take off your shoe, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. I don't know if they do it at Mr. Cheese's. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you have? <laughs> okay, I have found this thing. I never heard of it before, but I, I, I can relate to it. It's called the acrasia effect. Acrasia? How do you spell that? A-K-R-A-S-I-A. Am I saying it wrong? Okay. I don't know. I've never heard of it. That's why I was asking for you to spell it. I don't. I literally didn't know what it was. Yeah. So this also is... to have to type it out at some point. <laughs> <laughs> it's like fact checking. We fact check here yeah. on the spot. Well, it's it's why we don't follow through on what we set out to do and what to do about it. So okay. um, here's a little anecdote to start it off. In the summer of 1830, Victor Hugo was facing an impossible deadline. Um, so this is 12, a historic thing. Yeah, twelve months <laughs> earlier, a French author had the the French the French author Victor Hugo promised his publisher a new book, but instead of writing, he spent that year pursuing other projects, entertaining guests, and delaying his work. Fucking and, around. Yeah, basically. So frustrated, Hugo's publisher responded by setting deadlines less than six months away, and the book had to be finished by February of eighteen thirty one. And so he he was like. Uh, I have to do something. So he concocted a, a plan to beat his procrastination. So he collected all his clothes and asked an assistant to lock them away in a large chest. And he was okay. left with nothing to wear except a large shawl. So, <laughs> this sounds like a personal choice to me. A shawl? I know. So, really, Mr. Hugo? So lacking any suitable clothing to go outdoors, he remained in his study and wrote furiously during the fall and winter of 1830. The hunchback, I guess he didn't have much imagination because he could have fashioned that into something he could have worn out. <laughs> he kind of, he in my mind. Yeah. He could well, have made something. In the fall and the winter? Just a shawl? So and no, yeah, and and et voila, the Hunchback of Notre Dame was published two weeks early. On January is, that, is that how that happened? <laughs> <laughs> that is how it happened. So we've been procrastinating for centuries. So even prolific artists like Victor Hugo is not immune to this kind of thing, Jaquetta. Um, wow. So, I was just going to blame it on me being a lazy piece of shit, but I guess not. I have a crazia. 
Yeah. And so the problem is so tireless that ancient Greek philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle developed a word to describe this type of behavior, which is acrasia. I like to think it's like Felicia. It's like someone's name that's taken on another (laughs) meaning. Right. So it's the state of acting against your better judgment. It is when you do one thing, even though you know you should do something else. So it could say that. That's mostly what I do. Yeah. It's procrastination or lack of self-control. It's what prevents you from following through on what you set out to do. Um, So we all make plans. What do we do about it? Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's like the shawl method. (laughs) (laughs) Just wear a shawl. (laughs) Yeah. You'd be amazed what you can get done with a shawl. Yeah. So why do we, why do we set plans and deadlines and commit to goals and then fail to follow through? And um, one explanation why acrasia rules our lives and procrastination pulls us in its web. Um, Mm -hmm. It has something to do with behavioral, um, uh, with a, a behavioral economic term called time inconsistency. So what it is is a tendency for human, the human brain to value immediate rewards more highly than future rewards. Ah, yeah, yeah. I've heard about this, but maybe under a different name. Yeah. So when you make plans for yourself, setting a goal to lose weight or write a book or learn a language, you're making plans for your future self and you're envisioning what you want your life to be in the future. And when you think about the future, it's easy for your brain to see the value in taking actions with long-term benefits. When the time comes okay. to make a decision, you are no longer making choices for your future self. Now you're like, all right, I'm, I'm making decisions for the, the person right here and now, <laughs> your present self. Oh, okay. And the present self really likes instant gratification. <laughs> that's so, what they say. Yeah, and not long-term payoffs. So that's why you may um, go to bed feeling motivated to make a change but in your life when, when you wake up you're falling back into your old patterns because your brain values long-term benefits when they are in the future. Um, but it values. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at, you know, not procrastinating. Oh yeah. Good. And I I think maybe it's because I realize there's not much time left or not as much time left. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I am right. It's like, yeah, you can't keep putting things off because you know, you're not 20 anymore. Yeah. And, and so if you, I mean, you know, at this age, while we may statistically have many, many years left, like how many of those years are going to be the kind of years where we can do the things that we wanted to do? Yeah. So like when I'm, when I'm 75, when I'm the age of, for example, a Senator, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> am you know, like, I've always wanted to learn how to do, you know, want to do some mountain climbing. And sure, there are some amazing people who are in their 60s and 70s can do that. But let's be honest, that might not be me. Yeah, I know what you mean. So let's not put it off. Yeah, you have to plant the seeds for your future self by doing the things that you don't want to do right now. Yeah. It's a tough one, though, because I can I can see for some people, it's like, what if there isn't time later to do it? Yeah. So you if, if you're. Delaying instant gratification now for something that, you know, that you're going to have in your future. And, but you're not, you can't be a hundred percent sure that you're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what it is, something may come up, you know? 
Yeah, and they say the ability to delay gratification in the present is a great predictor of success in life. So um, what kind of framework? It says here, the framework you need to beat procrastination. So you can do something about it. You can overcome okay. this, um, uh, this thing here. One is design your future actions. Um, so when Victor Hugo locked his clothes away. <laughs> so That's so funny. That's just like a piece of Victor Hugo that I was not aware of. Yeah, right. He is, so he did, he he called he was creating what psychologists call um, a commitment device, a commitment device, okay. a choice you make in the present that controls your actions in the future. Um, it is a way to to lock in future behavior and bind you to good habits, and restrict you from bad ones. It also happened in Young Frankenstein when the doctor locked himself in the in the cage with the monster. And said, don't let oh, that's me right. out, no matter how much I scream and beg, <laughs> don't let me out. And then he was in I've got stuff to do in here. Yeah, he's like, get me out, get me the hell out now. And he was stuck and he had to, he had to commit to what he was doing. Um, I like how you included both highbrow and lowbrow culture into this uh, discussion on acrasia. Yeah, because that's how I roll. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, anyone could be listening. Yeah. Yeah, there are many ways to create your commitment. I was like, how do I create a commitment device? Um, okay. You can reduce overeating by purchasing food in individual packages rather than bulk. I don't know. I will open each package individually and then see exactly <laughs> how many little packages I've eaten. That doesn't work for me. Yeah, I know. Me neither. Uh, <laughs> like small, small bags. I'm like, shit, I just ate eight bags of small bags of potato chips. Yeah, I know. Eight 25-cent bags. Oh my God, I, I've been there. Yeah, we've all been there. Yeah. You can voluntarily ask to be added to a banned list at casinos and online poker sites for future gambling sprees. But like, how's that going to help me finish this novel? <laughs> like that wasn't Victor Hugo's, like, is someone going to offer me a pashmina or something? It's whatever is the thing. What is it that you're putting off that you want to do? And you have to come up with your commitment device. I, okay. They say some athletes who have to make weight for a competition choosing to leave their wallets at home um, during the week before they weigh in so they won't be tempted to buy fast food. Okay. I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, your circumstances may differ, but the message is the same. Commit to devices. Commitment devices can help you design your future actions. So if you lock yourself out of whatever it is that you want to do right now. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You, you might have some success with that. You're, you're the architect of your future actions. I know that because uh, I used to really be into shopping. This is before we met, too. So this is like going back 15 years or more. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, like I would just every Saturday morning after I finished work, because I worked a couple of hours in the morning teaching uh-huh. ESL, I would go immediately and shop oh. and spend pretty much the money that I made. Right. Oh, my God. It was my it was my side hustle. So, and I, I was like, how can I get myself away from this? The first thing I did was stop reading women's magazines. Oh, okay. Because that was a trigger, right? Like constantly looking at these. And then by women's magazines, I mean like fashion magazines. Okay. You know, I'm not talking about like Ms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about, you know, just the fashion magazines. Um, because that generates, it makes you feel like, oh, it's fun shopping. I need this stuff. And then the other thing I did was, I don't know if this was a Suze Orman trick or it's just, a, you know, she's just passing it on, but you make like a credit card condom. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. No. 
What? You basically wrap your credit card, like you put a wrap it up in a piece of paper or put it in one of those little envelopes that's like the size of a business card. Uh-huh. And you write something on it. So every time you go to pull out your credit card, the first thing you see is what you've written. It could be, do you need the, to make this purchase? Oh, okay. Or remember that you're saving for X. Oh. So for me, I would just put a post-it note on my credit card or on my debit card. And when I pulled it out, it would just be like, um, sorry, do you need this? Oh, sorry. <laughs> but you know, cause I'm writing it to myself in yeah. my own like bitchy way, you know, yeah, right, right. like, you know, is this something that you can't live without? Right. You know, and so how and did it, it work for you? It it worked because it was just that moment of like, okay, yeah, I can delay gratification if given a nudge. But normally, there's no, there's you know, you go right for it, right? Just like if you want to eat something, as soon as you see it, you're like, oh, I'm gonna put that, I'm gonna put that in my mouth. Yeah. But if you had like a a moment of that tub of ice cream being like, do you really need to put me into your mouth? Right, right. I think which that's is creepy in and of itself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Food talking to you. <laughs> I think that the only thing that ever worked for me, like when I would come home from work, I would. One of my problems is eating more at night than during the day. <clears throat> and when you oh have yeah, well, food dinner, tastes better at night. Yeah, and when you have a heavy dinner at night, you just don't really lose weight. And you, you know, how do you stop? Yeah. And like when you get home from work at six thirty. You have a half an hour to eat and then mm-hmm. you're, you're ravenous and then it's like you eat too much. And that's, that's yeah. me. when I say you, I mean me. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people do that because you're, especially if you, the irony of it is it can be that you've worked out before. Yeah. You've worked out, you, it takes you maybe a half an hour, you know, your change and shower and that kind of stuff. And then another 15, 20 minutes home. Sometimes the people yeah. are longer to get home and then they are starving you eat a lot and then you're not going to move until, you know, the next morning. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll pull out crackers and start eating those while dinner is, is heating up, you know? And I'm like, what am I doing? That's just way too much. But I found that the best thing that I could do is make these like, bush. yeah, like veggie appetizers, like have all the cut vegetables ready to go and make them like tasty somehow. <laughs> Yeah, so I, it's I hard to I, do that because it's you have to be organized. Yeah, be organized. They have to do make it in a way that it's tasty and still light. And so sometimes that's hard to do. But when I've been able to do that, then that works. Um, I I'm still fascinated by this <laughs> this Victor Hugo and a shawl. Is that how we got Lee <laughs> Miz as well? <laughs> Probably. You know what I mean? Like every time he had to write something, they were like, strip him of all his clothing. Give him the Give him his handkerchief. The I shawl. wonder if, if what, at what point he's like, you know, screw it. I'm going outside in the shawl. I don't care. Everyone knows who I am. Ma- yeah. Sure well, they will. Yeah. They will know who you are. Okay. There's another strategy here to talk about. It's called reduce the friction of starting. Okay. So when you, the guilt and frustration of procrastination is usually worse than the pain of doing the work, right? You get, feel awful. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, as somebody wrote on a moment to moment basis, being in the middle of doing the work is usually less painful than being in the middle of procrastinating. Right. Yeah. It's like, how do you get started? Right. Um, it's starting the work. So the friction, it, 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 this, 
this friction prevents us from taking action. And it's usually centered around a starting behavior. But once you begin, mm-hmm. it's often less painful to do the work. So you have to find something that you like a ritual that will transition you into it until you like can shorten that ritual. So you can just kind of start what you need to do. So like when you sit down to write like Victor Hugo you in know, your shawl, <laughs> your shawl, but you sometimes will just sit there and look at the computer or the, or whatever you're using and not write. For me, I had to create like a little ritual to start my project, um, which is make a cup of tea and okay. like light a candle and, okay. and be set up that way. And that was my ritual to start. And that transitioned hmm. me into starting. Yeah. I think for me, sometimes I like to envision before I start doing something, I like to envision how I'm going to feel after it's done. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like, because, you know, after something's over, you feel, usually feel like happy, excited, proud, whatever. And just imagine, like, that's what I'm working towards. Yeah. That feeling of like, ha, ah, it's done. And then usually, whether that's true or not, that once I get started, yeah, it's not a problem. Yeah. I so, forget about that. Yeah. So you, you make your ritual to get you started, whatever it is. So if you, you like, you know, doing this visualization and putting yourself emotionally in that space of it being... Yeah was what worked for you. That's awesome. <clears throat> Although I'm interested in the shawl business. So <laughs> like, let's not, let's not rule that out. <laughs> and then there's another, the third and last strategy is utilize implementation intentions. So an implementation intention is when you state your intention to implement a particular behavior at a specific time in the future. For example, you say, I will exercise for at least 30 minutes a day on Wednesday, in the gym at five o'clock, right? Okay. Like clue. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) With a candlestick. Yeah. In the study. Um, There's a hundreds of successful studies showing how implementation intentions positively impact everything from habit of exercise habits to flu shots. Um, and so, like, employees at a Midwestern company found that the employees who wrote down a specific date and time they planned to get their flu shot were significantly more likely to follow through weeks later. Why did they call out that it was a Midwestern company but not say anything else at all? <laughs> I don't know. That's really weird. Is that an issue? <laughs> no, they say it was a flu shot study. I, I left this part out. In the flu shot study, researchers took a group, looked at a group of 3,200 employees at a Midwestern company. Sorry. Okay. And they found the employees who wrote it down went and did it. So it's like, I guess, scheduling things ahead of time can make a difference. I mean, when I schedule something, I do it. Are you, I do too. You don't really cancel a lot. You're not a canceler. No, I don't cancel. And I, um, the only reasons I cancel is like a health thing. Yeah. You know, like a migraine or I'm not, you know, I cramps, I'm feeling sick. But yeah, I don't, I don't like to cancel, but I'm also the kind of person that will say no right up front. Yeah. If I think it's going to be something that I might cancel because I don't, you know, I don't like to tell people I'm going to do something and I'm, I'd rather, you know, take the risk and be like, you know what? I don't really think I can attend. Yeah. Um, because the yeah, people who cancel, like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't. I find that, that, like, if they cancel a couple of times, that's the last time you get an invitation from me. Yeah, I know, right? 
Um, you'll be inter- Aristotle coined a term called encratia, and that's the antonym of acrasia. So there's acrasia and it was sound because he was a rapper. Acrasia <laughs> and cratia. So anyway, the other one is power over, in power over oneself, designing your future actions. So there is, um, so you can you can do this. You can you can stop your procrastinating. Yeah, it's so it's so hard like when I was when I was younger I was one of those people who always waited especially with academics and I'm, I'm pretty sure you did too because you're a good writer and a fast writer I always waited to the very last minute yeah I but did I always too. knew how much t- exactly how much time I needed but then I was never I was never happy with the, the product because I knew that it wasn't it couldn't have been my best work right I could have taken more time on it yeah, I did that a lot, a lot when I was younger too. And that's also, there's, there's a couple of things about that. It's like that built-in excuse. Like I did it at the last minute and look how good it is, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or I failed because I did it at the last minute. Um, <clears throat> so it's like, I, I did that a lot. And, um, but then I realized so many things can happen <laughs> and take up your time. <laughs> what do you mean? Like when you procrastinate? When you procrastinate, say you're like, oh, I have a week to write this thing. Um, okay. and guess what? You know what? The, the, um, water main breaks in your town and you have no water and you can't even shower. So you need to go live someplace else, you know, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, you know, there's a health emergency or you, you get, yeah. you know, you have to go help somebody or you get sick or, yeah. or you know, a work deadline looms and you, you, you have to make that a priority. So other things pop up and then you're really stressed out. So I kind of switched after a while, like I get the work done ahead of time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, and that goes along with my, once I tried uh, really focusing on not procrastinating and getting things done ahead, especially like work assignments or academic assignments, the relief you feel yeah. to me is again, envisioning how I'm going to feel afterwards. I'm like, let me remember that feeling versus, you know, how I felt pulling an all nighter to, mm-hmm. to work on something that, you know, I knew how long it took and I had plenty of warning. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. Acrasia and Ancrasia. Yes. Her sister. <laughs> the popular sister. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Elusive. She's aloof. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants to be her friend. She's not interested in society. That's <laughs> At all. You're listening to Hey You Know It with Jaquetta Sotmari and Katie Kazmir. We're telling you how it is and how it should be. So I have some robot news. We haven't done a lot of robot news. Um, I don't know. I feel like maybe a lot of people who work in robotics are focusing their efforts elsewhere right now because of the pandemic or obviously they haven't been able to get together and work in the lab. So maybe that's a part of it, but I found this, I thought this would frighten you a little bit. Um, next generation cockroach inspired robot is small, but mighty. Oh God, no. So this, this was presented at the international conference on robotics and automation, the ICRA, um, Mm -hmm. uh, at the beginning of June. And they're working with PC MEMS, which are 
printed circuit microelectromechanical systems. So basically, this is the robot that they print uh, flat, and then it pops up into a 3D, like Ew. origami. So, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. In the past, I think we may have talked about the insect robots, that they are small. They can slip under the door. They're printed from a sheet. So they've taken that idea, and they've made it half the size, and they've created a robot called Hammer Jr. Um, They shrunk the 2D sheet of design with the robot and the circuitry board to create a small robot that is the same size as a penny. Ooh, really? Wow. And they put it next to a cockroach. So you can see the size yeah. difference. And the cockroach is larger. I think it's a water bug, to be fair. Okay. Um, so it's about the size of a penny. Um, mm-hmm. And it has the same dexterity and the control as the larger one does. And here's the creepy part. It moves like an insect, right? It's got but it's only, it only has four legs, it can run 14 body lengths per second, and it's the same size as a penny. That's fast. That's a scurry in my mind. Ugh. I wonder yeah. what kind of like, gait it has. Does it, like, go from side to side? Is it, like... I don't know, but um, it, it's moving that quickly. And at first I was like, you know, my usual <laughs> Jaquetta response is I'm going to smash it. I thought, wow, that's yeah. moving really fast. But I can still smash a cockroach, and I think they probably run as quickly. So we're still good on the foot as, you know, oppositional to these robots. Okay. All right. Good. Good. It's Glad two, two and a quarter centimeters long. It weighs one third of a gram, which is a fraction of the weight of a penny. So this thing is incredibly light. It's one of the fastest and smallest micro robots out there. Ugh, God. Yeah. I- what are they, so they're going to like let them loose under people's doorways and then pop up and well they are working on you know it's always about the payload right mm-hmm. so i don't know what this is going to be a delivery system for or if it's going to be a swarm scenario oh god could you imagine being encased by them well i wasn't take- thinking about being encased what would the ones on top do just run. Well, like, all right. How about you? This is a situation where you're like on the run, and they've they've very you know, on the land. Yeah, and they okay. need to take you in, right? Okay. And so this thing can overtake you, and then encase you, and lift you, and take you back to the prison. That's exactly what I was thinking, but for some reason, in my mind, I you know the person on the land is passed out or is lying down, and they just go yeah. under him, <laughs> like crowd surfing. <laughs> They just go no, under no, him no. and pass him to the front. <laughs> right. No, because you can always jump off that. I mean, they got you, and they like kind of link arms and to make like a chain link encasement. Which you're so may- maybe they could make something like the um, the wheels of a tank, you know, where no matter what direction it rolls in, you're covered. Yeah. And they just run you out. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I don't know where they're running you to, though. Yeah, well, back to where you they want to take you. How embarrassing yeah. if you yeah. get seen being run out of town by these little cockroach things. Yeah, oh God, how creepy. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly creepy. And I think the people who are making it, they probably don't think it's creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if we're able to make something this size, so the size of a penny, 
and a fraction of the weight of a penny now, imagine what it will be like in five years, how small it will be. And these are researchers, so they may, they probably have a decent budget, but they don't have the budget of like a, you know, a large scale evil corporation or DARPA yet. Mm. Um, so yeah, yes. Hammer Jr. Hammer Jr., the little cockroach robot, small but mighty, it says. Yeah. Well, maybe these are going to like, they're going to form a bunch of these to like deliver our food now in this COVID world. With tiny roaches? Yeah, like I'm, I'm still thinking of how they all join together and form an encasement, you know. And Are they going to be able to like form together, put on a trench coat and a hat, <laughs> like sneak into a place? Sneak into a, a dirty movie place, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like you won't, you're like, oh, that guy doesn't look familiar. You look closer. It's all robots. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> with a pair of sunglasses with like a pair of Ray-Bans. Yeah, <laughs> And that's that's what you'll notice first is like, dude, what's up with those outmoded 1980s top guns? Mm. And then you notice it's robots. So, yeah, it's creepy. Cockroach inspired. I mean, there's in my mind, there's very little good about a cockroach. No, no, I, I don't have any. I Again, don't have any. where are the puppies? You know, I know. Right? Wouldn't you like- rather have your meal delivered by a bunch of puppies stacked up in a trench coat? Would say that again. What I said? Wouldn't you rather have your meal delivered by a bunch of like robot puppies stacked up wearing a trench coat? (laughs) (laughs) You know, like that's not. Or if you get apprehended when you're on the line, if if it's puppies, you might be like, you know what? Fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, fine, sure. I'm ready to go. Right. Oh my god. All right. What do you have? Well, I have. Let's see where you live. It really affects how you your ability to build wealth. Yeah, I didn't really they think say that geography is destiny. Well, I knew it in terms of like you know you go to a bigger city because there's more jobs and there's diverse jobs and they actually they pay more usually mm-hmm. than out somewhere else because they they decide um, pay scales for the same job just based on on region. So, yeah, but and also I mean, too, if, if you're moving, it's usually towards a better job situation right, than where you're right. coming from. Hopefully, yeah. But they're saying that there's a couple of there's like a lot of factors that go into building wealth, but um, perhaps none as big as a role as where you choose to live. Which I didn't realize that was it had that much of an impact. Are we living um, in the right place? Well, let's find out. Okay. The key to wealth building is to live in a home that one can easily afford. Okay, that's one thing. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, he said, one's home or neighborhood is the greatest detriment to building wealth. If you live in a pricey home and neighborhood, you will act and buy like your neighbors. The more affluent the neighborhood, the more its residents spend on almost every conceivable product and service. True. So, when I lived in the hood, when I was a teacher, I was saving 800 to to $1,000 a month. Yeah. Because it was, a, Cause I lived in a cheap neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're high income producing, high consuming neighbors, a roll up the driveway with a BMW or Mercedes Benz, it's likely you'll feel the urge to do the same. And this pressure to keep up with the Joneses can be affected by lifestyle creep, the tendency to spend more whenever one earns more. So you get a little more money, you spend it, you just keep spending, spending. 
but it's not just neighborly influences that affect your wealth. It's your homes, your price relative to the, to your income, which also affects your ability to accumulate wealth over time. Yeah. So no kidding. Um, but yeah, but it's funny because like in my town, I lived in a uh, neighborhood that, um, that was, that was more affordable than a lot of other parts of town. Um, but you mean growing up? No, now, like, Oh, now. Okay. Now. Okay. And so, um, but more and more people like trust fund kids moved in and ever the prices of everything went up and even the bodegas were charging just, I mean, you can't even really shop at a bodega. Yeah. People forget that, that bodegas, like they little, sometimes cost a little bit more, but on the whole, yes, people used to be able to get things reasonably priced there. Now you've got like craft beer, high-end potato chips. Like it's really edged out the, the cheap stuff that's in a yeah. bodega. Yeah. You can't really get, I don't, my, all the bodegas that sold cheap stuff are gone yeah. in my neighborhood. Um, anything that's reasonable is gone. You really do have to go to um, a bigger supermarket and buy yeah. in bulk or order, you know, yeah. somehow. And it's really, it's too bad. Um, so if you want to make progress on building wealth, keep your housing costs low. Um, yeah. So they say most millionaires never purchase a home that costs more than triple the amount of their annual income. Okay. I mean, me, uh, like, I don't think anyone in my family's done that either, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I certainly didn't. No, 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 no. But and even Warren Buffett, well, he's lives in a tiny house. I don't know why. His house is worth... Um, only 0.001% of his total wealth. Wow. Like he lives in like, you wouldn't even know. Why does he even bother to make all that money? Like I was just discussing this with someone earlier, all these old people still out there making tons of money. Like I'm, you know, if I had a million dollars now, I'd be like, well, I'm done. Thank you. Yeah. Cause it's, you know what that is. Somebody was talking to me about that. It's the idea that to you, the, um, the game of making money is not appealing. It's like, no. to, yeah, it's, it's not like some people who are into finance and money and watching like money grow. It's more like, a, um, that's the game to them. It's like, I uh, like, um, for us, what do we like to do? We like to read. We like to learn. We like to, to write, write, try to create we, stuff, perform. And that's fun for us. Right. Yeah. Sadly, yeah, that's money. Yeah, and, but because we're not into the game of making money saying, okay, let me figure out what the best investment is. What is the biggest return on this? Where can I, how can I make this grow? What stock should I buy? That is fun for people. Like our creative stuff is fun for us. Do you see what I mean? It's yeah. Not, it's not a thing of like, um, I want to get all the money and take it from anybody else. They think it's fun to, to come up with these ideas. That's how, what entertains them and they like it. That, so with Warren Buffett, he, he doesn't need to keep making it because he has to have it all. He just he he likes the the um, the execution of making money. It just seems to me one of the more money. one of the more pointless things to do if you don't need money is to make money. Yeah, but I well, again, yeah, you explained how we feel it. about it. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the way it is for a lot of people. You have to really enjoy that, that process of the making of the money. 
Yeah. And making it grow and investing it. It's just interesting because your, you know, your relationship with money changes over the time, over time. When I was younger, I was very like, ah, work really hard, make lots of money, work, make lots of money, work. Make. But now, and there was some kind of reward in that, like the earning of it. But now if I found a yeah. million dollars, I would feel just as excited as if I earned it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I wouldn't care. <laughs> Yeah, I don't care yeah, yeah. what for. It's you got a million dollars. Like who cares if you uh, toiled to get it or if it just got kicked in your direction? Right. And it's like and there's some kind of thing where, like you know, everybody grows up with a different mindset of how you deserve your money. Like you have to work so hard and and save and deprive yourself in order to have you know be in the black. You know, and yeah. some people are just like, no, you. It's that relationship with money where they expect it to be there and it's there and they don't have any kind of like, um, hope, you know, hangups about it. No. Yeah. Also, know? we've they, seen in our lifetime that you can't, very few people will make the kind of money that they thought they were going to, um, even from stable professions. Yeah. Everything so has, changes has changed so much. Even like being a doctor, you can't make. Yeah. Doctors, lawyers, uh, pilots, yeah. like things that when we were kids, they're like, okay, if you do this engineer, like, yeah, they, I'm not, they're not, you know, begging on the streets asking if brother can, brother, right. can you spare a dime, but they're not making the crazy money. Like friends of mine whose grandfathers were doctors. Okay. No one's grandmothers were doctors. I'm just going to put that out there, but the grandfathers, they, they were so wealthy. And then their father, that's a doctor is like, okay, they're middle-class. Like they're still living off of the grandfather's largesse. Isn't it and something? Yeah. the kids who are our generation, they're not, you know, even if they are a doctor, they're not rolling in it like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, like, I remember being like, um, even in, in grammar school and or going into high school and some of the other girls in class were saying, Oh, you know, got to marry doctors you know, they're the ones <laughs> with the money. we got to marry them. And then it was like later on, um, running into a classmate, they're like, did you hear about Caroline? She married a doctor. And I was like, Oh, good for her, I guess. Yeah. Great. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Even like I went to a podiatrist, I guess it was like last year before the V. The, the most exciting kind of doctor. Um, That's the kind of doctor everyone looks up to is a foot doctor. <laughs> yeah, but he's still, he's still a doctor, you know, and, um, and we were talking about insurance and we're talking about he's like, oh, if you work at this company of great insurance. My wife worked there and she had any insurance for us. And it was amazing. I'm like, oh, my what? God. Wow. The doctor's. Like, like getting, you know, excited about corporate insurance that he's on, not even his. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, I know some, some attorneys who their, their partner provides the health insurance and without that provision, they wouldn't be able to have their practice the way it is. And that was shocking for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's very shocking the way that things actually work when it's like all these, uh, you know, they part the curtains and you see how it's changed. Um, they, all right. So they say here, keep your housing costs low. That's smart. No matter how much money you have, the best financial move you can make is to literally move into a less expensive home. Yes. And people do the opposite. Yeah. 
I mean, I just remember when I was looking to buy a place, people were like, get the biggest mortgage you can, the biggest place you can. I was like, are you kidding me? Then it's going to be like some kind of a financial coffin. Yeah. And you're just going to be like always worried about making that mortgage all the time. Yeah. And also it could become a house can become a money pit. An apartment can become a money pit as well. You know? Yeah. So since there, you know, you can argue your more immediate community or school or district or town is more important when it comes to your personal happiness. When you're thinking of buying that 4,500 square foot McMansion out in the suburbs to avoid a two bedroom fixer upper in the city, you're trading size of, com- of home for commute. What is more important to you? And it is, it's true. It's like, what is more important to you? Your lifestyle and that ease, mm-hmm. or is it the big house, you know, in the, in the suburbs where there's, you give up all of that, that what's in the city and all of the culture and all of, you know, the diversity. The convenience in some cases as well, depending on where your suburb is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder for people in the suburbs, is it that, is the situation, especially if you're, you know, middle-class, you want to have at least one nice thing in your life. And sometimes that McMansion can be it. I think for people. Maybe your car yeah. isn't that great. Maybe your your partner or your kids aren't that great. Maybe your job is not exactly <laughs> what you want. You know what I mean? It's like it's not exactly what you want, yeah. but that you know that bonus room, that man cave. You know, and maybe that that's something that to you personally says you made it. You know, and that's yeah. something that you always dreamed of. But that's all you're gonna home. get, though. That's all you're gonna get. Yeah. So it's, it's, it should be, and I can see too, like, okay, I've never lived in the suburbs, but I can imagine a situation where you're like, if I'm going to have to be out here, and I think you brought this up before too, if you're going to be essentially trapped in your house when you're not working, you want it to be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's it. Right. For some right. people. That's all you got. You're going to be watching the, you know, you need a 60 inch screen because you're not going to be getting season tickets anymore. You can't get to the stadium anyway, and you can't bring your wife and kids or husband and kids or, you know, whatever the situation is. You can't bring all of them with you and buy those tickets. So just get a big screen TV. Because they're mediocre anyway, and they're not really what you want. Yeah. (laughs) Little Charlie's not even cute. He doesn't even know about the game. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I sometimes never think so that like um, I, I've never really understood the the psychology of what it's like to to be to live in a suburb. So like I'm only throwing out what I've gleaned from people. Um, but yeah, there, there's got to be. I feel like that for a lot of people, that big house, like you said, it's a symbol of success, and it might be the only thing. Yeah, I think it is. I think that's the idea of what they think is status and success and to have the house in the suburbs with the kids and the whole thing. I mean, that's fine, you know, but to them it's like, that's, that's, you know, they wanted. It's not fine though. If you're like breaking your, if you're destroying your finances with it though. And that's what I've seen. Some of some people who I've known have done that. Like they went crazy with the McMansion and now they're like, you know, living, it's a short sale and they're living in an apartment. Uh, Right. Right. (laughs) Be through no fault of their own sometimes. I mean, the economy does happen to people, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you never so, know what's going to be. Yeah, you life. never know. And that's why, I guess, like you were saying, 
you have to buy uh, a property or get lodging that in rough times, you know, you can still maintain that mortgage or that rent payment. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So building wealth. Yeah. <laughs> building wealth. Maybe an advice on advice. Yeah. Okay. Advice and advice is a segment where we take advice from the internet that stinks. Yeah. And we improve upon it by and giving our advice. That's right. So henceforth, advice on advice. Yeah. So this is Carolyn Hacks, who's oh. in the Washington Post sometimes, but also the Seattle Post Intelligencer. Dear Carolyn, my wife and I separated a few yeah. months ago. I had felt lonely and unsatisfied in our marriage and consequently Ooh. developed feelings for another woman. Oh, uh, okay. My wife found out. Oh, no. I moved out. And I moved on with my affair partner. It okay. was the worst mistake of my life. Um, <laughs> you know, once the newness of the relationship wore off, we fought constantly and ended up breaking up. Oh. Yeah. Now I realize how stupid and selfish I've been. I had mm. felt lonely and trapped in our marriage because my wife was, and this is my favorite part, because my wife was spending all her time taking care of our kids. <laughs> what a B. Yeah. You, oh, God. That, that type. You know that type. It's the yeah. worst. You know what? You should have cheated right away. <laughs> um, and I had grown to resent her for it. But I wasn't helpful. I wasn't present. And I regret not communicating with her. My selfishness led to the breakdown of my marriage. And I am truly sorry. Okay. Yeah, whatever. So far, we're just separated, not divorcing, but she refuses to talk to me. Oh, well. Hey, right? I tried calling, email, texting, showing up at her work. Oh. What? That didn't work? (laughs) Yeah. So coming on someone's job and embarrassing them in front of their colleagues, um, their friends. Yeah. That didn't work. Um, getting in touch with their friends also didn't work. I'm sure they really wanted to hear from you, bro. Mm -hmm. I'm hitting a wall. He says, I haven't seen the kids because she refuses to talk to me. I just want to tell her, I'm sorry. What's the best way to proceed? Signed X. Oh boy. Wait, so she, he can't see the kids. No. Well, the wife isn't talking to him at all. Wow. So that's the situation. The guy, (laughs) While this bee was attending to her family's needs, this guy got bored with it. Instead of jumping in on the parenting, had time to have an affair. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, right? Yeah. He's not involved with the kids. I heard it. But now he wants to see them. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, not everyone is really into their kids or really into parenting, but you do have to help out. And if you have someone who's doing all the heavy lifting – Maybe you can find other ways to to make it up to them, yeah, to make their lives easier if the if the parenting is not your thing, right? But if that involves communication. And isn't your thing? Then you shouldn't really have kids. I well, it's too late now. <laughs> yeah. Well, they yeah Just, exactly. I mean, if they can't, if he couldn't see that that was it's something that needs to be done and it is time consuming and he's getting pissed because he's neglected as he thinks. Yeah. It's because not. she doesn't have time to take care of another kid, i.e. him. <laughs> right? So he went out, have, had an affair, and then moved out. 
after he got busted. Yeah. Um, the wife won't. So I would say, well, the first, the only real thing here is like the kids. I That's something you have to negotiate. Yeah. Because it's probably traumatizing for the kids, even though it sounds like you're a shitty dad. Yeah. Um, I think you do have parental rights. Although he might not want to go that route because maybe it will trigger a divorce. I don't know. He's trying to get back with her. Well, yeah, the ex, I mean, his, the woman he was having an affair with or woman or man, I don't know. The person who he was having an affair with was like, get, get out. It didn't work. Yeah, so he went ahead and like had the affair, moved out, moved tried out. to get it going with number two, and it didn't work. So he's like, "Oh, I, I made a mistake. I'm coming back to you." It's like it doesn't work that way. No, but you, but he's had an epiphany, so yeah. and he's sorry. Okay, <laughs> that's what that's what he's saying. All right. Um, I, I would just say, yeah, negotiate something about the kids, but otherwise, please leave her alone. Yeah, that's really the only thing, you know, do whatever she wants to do and just be like, just let me see the kids. And yeah, she may. I mean, if you you weren't doing any work before, you say with the kids to help you left. So she's you know, she she may or may not have noticed in in terms of what her workload is like or what her day is like. If she was doing everything anyway, it might be easier for her. Yeah, I've heard people say that. That they feel like a single parent, even though they're married and they might as well be single, it would be easier and cheaper. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard people say, you know, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's one less person to cook for. It um, really is, because if they're not contributing anything and they're making yeah. things more difficult, it's like, get out. Yeah. And they just decided to like up and leave. Um, so what's the best way to proceed? I don't know. What would you tell this guy to do? You know, he has to get, like, like the reality is that she just, you know, he really messed up. And as much as he's had an epiphany and he's sorry, I mean, it sounds like they're really too far apart at this point. Like, uh, unless they can find a way or if she can find a way to forgive him and they can negotiate what they want their home life to be like, you know, he might have to just be like, you know, and then I'll, I'm getting a divorce and I'll have to see my kids, you know, we need to have visitation. I, I, I just think that they're too far apart for a reconciliation and he has to get his mind around that. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's kind of up to her right now what she mm-hmm. wants to do. He moved out. Yeah. So the, every day that he's not there, it might be getting easier for her to see what her life would be like without him. And maybe that's what is preferable for her. Yeah. Um, so let's hear what hacks says. Yeah. Exactly. She says showing up at work. Oh my, no. <laughs> exactly. That to me is just disrespectful in on in every level, right? Coming to someone's job. You don't know what kind of day they had, you know, right. you don't and know it- what they're telling people at work. Right. And then the policy too, like people, like you, you can't have people just show up. No, you can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm thinking about some of the jobs I've had, like, you know, I've been a teacher where you're just going to pop up on my prep, prep period. Like, Hey, you oh, know, could you imagine? <laughs> or what, if, what if she's working in, in a, you know, in a corporate environment where she doesn't really want people involved in her personal life? Yeah. 
you know, show up and do some personal stuff there. No, thanks. No, it's not professional. So it says the best way to proceed is to get yourself. Well, you've had an epiphany that's excellent and it seems genuine, but doesn't mean your wife has any reason to think it's anything other than a matter of your affair fizzling out and you wanting to get back into a warm bed. Yes. Carolyn Hacks went there. No, she <laughs> She said, your efforts to talk have crossed some serious boundaries. Yeah, because not only did he go on the job, but he started contacting her friends. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. This guy is making a lot of wrong moves. How much you want to bet her friends are like, uh, yeah, we'll pass that information right on click. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? I might hang up as soon as I found out who it was. <laughs> and been like, if this is an emergency, then call 911. Otherwise, I'm hanging up. You know, right? <laughs> what are her friends gonna do? Like, how? What are they? They obviously know what happened, or maybe they don't. That's another thing too. What if well, she is keeping this to herself for whatever reason? Well, and what, you're, <laughs> yeah. What friend is going to bat for the guy? Exactly. Oh, I think she talked to him, so he cheated. <laughs> but it's like, does he? He hasn't really been in her life that much. Maybe he's not paying attention. Maybe he's just calling people and they're like, look, uh, yeah, I, I do know Acrasia, but like only a little bit, <laughs> you know, like I don't, why I didn't know that you had left her. Yeah. <laughs> I only heard your name like twice. You know, we just share a desk. Yeah. Had no idea. No idea. But thanks for telling me. So I can now tell everybody at the office. Yeah. That Acrasia's husband is a cheater. <laughs> Um, so says stop pressuring her to talk to you respect her right to be furious and completely uninterested in whatever you have to say mm -hmm. um you know why didn't basically she talks about just because you made this mistake it doesn't mean you're a monster you're a human person but like you know get some therapy get yeah. some kind of guidance take a hard look at yourself in the mirror like think about your past Basically, go into the reasons why you did what you did. Maybe you can, it, it will help you move forward. But, like, don't expect anything from your wife. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It's, Except for visitation with your children. That's really it. That's all you can ask for at this point. Uh, boy, the tangled webs we weave. Thank you for listening to Hey You Know It. Stay in touch with us during the week. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Tumblr. Go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. We'll read it on an upcoming show regardless of content. As always, we love your emails. Send us an email at heyyouknowit at gmail.com with your comments, questions, and segment ideas. Emails will also be read on upcoming shows. Please tell your friends about us because you know we don't advertise. And let them know we can be found on iTunes at stitcher.com and at heyyouknowit.com. Thanks. Thanks.